Hi, I'm Karen Osborne, and this is Living in the Sandwich Zone, a place where each week we talk all things parenting, caregiving, juggling life, and reclaiming joy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. As I sit to record this introduction, it is the eve before a historically unprecedented hurricane is slated to hit Southern California. So um, (laughs) it really is a lovely segue into the whole conversation about stress. There's just so much going on in the world, whether it's the weather or politics or work or caregiving, kids, parents, life, all of it. One of the common threads that we all experience is the impact of stress on our bodies and in our lives. And today I'm sharing a conversation with the perfect person to give you guidance as to how to better handle those stressors and the impact of stress in your life. My guest today is my friend Chantal Donnelly. Chantal by profession is a physical therapist and has been in practice for over 20 years. She is also the founder of her own company, Body Insight Incorporated, and she holds degrees in psychology, kinesiology, a master's in physical therapy, and she is also a mom and fellow sandwich sewner who has extensive experience juggling, caregiving, and parenting, and all that goes along with that. And if that weren't enough, recently Chantal has added another title to her resume, author. Chantal is the author of a brand new book recently released entitled Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. For years and years, Chantal and I had crossed paths because we live in the same city and our kids were attending the same school. And during the last couple of years, when things for me were really hard, I had the good fortune to connect with Chantal on a deeper level. And it's really been a gift to me to be witnessed and supported on this journey in this difficult season of my life by someone like Chantal, who has such important information to share about teaching people that stress is a natural and normal part of life. It's not always bad that your stressors, their cues, to your body and our body's response to stress is really the body's way of trying to protect us in stressful situations. And Chantal really teaches how to better understand the language of stress and what our bodies are telling us so that we can use that information to handle stress better. So after trying to coordinate our schedules and get through the last school year, 
Chantal and I had a chance to sit down this summer and talk about all of this. So here is my conversation with my wise, warm, wonderful friend, Chantal Donnelly. Hello, my friend. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's so funny because the last time we tried to connect in this space was when I had all of my internet issues and Mm. I was sitting here. I'm like, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious. And I'm like, I'm about to talk to the perfect person about that. You were having a repeat visit from your last tech problems. They were infiltrating to your present moment. And it's so funny because I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can feel like my heart pounding. And I'm like, I don't want to ruin this. I don't, you know, I just, yeah. So figure I'll just name that up front and we'll work our way through. We have something to work with. Exactly. So how are you? I am good. I am good. Still um, a little overwhelmed with all the book stuff. I am working on layout right now, which has turned into, it's much more than I thought it would be. Wow. Time commitment and, and stress writing a book about stressful. Before we delve into all the book stuff, because I do want to go into that. um, Talk to me about how it, how it was with your one and only graduating. Oh, sweetheart. He was anxious. He, I think there's a, um, I'm, I may be generalizing here, but I get the sense that his generation doesn't want to grow up. They don't mm. want an adult and I don't blame them, honestly. Um, and so he was a little excited, but also terrified all at the same yeah. time about leaving that chapter of his life. And, you know, I, I tell you, I think that that's very true. And I will say that when Lenny was 13, 13, Linz came to me and said, I don't want to grow up. I, I don't think I can do it. I don't, I can't imagine having an apartment and paying these bills. And, and I'm thinking at 13, I was not at all thinking about like those big life things. And so I think it does, it weighs heavily on yeah. the psyche of our kids, this whole growing up and transitioning into this I, new chapter. I don't know if it's the situation in our world now, if it was, you know, it was slightly different when you and I were 13, but right. I wanted to get out out of the house and explore when I was 13. I went to Europe by myself when I was 13 for two months. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I danced the entire time I was there. I was in like these dance camps. So my parents knew where I was and I was with adults. Yeah. That's amazing. And it, and I think it's, I just see these stark differences, like the whole thing with the driver's license, you know, back in the day, the day, the moment your birthday came and you turned 16, it was like, everybody was out getting their driver's license. And now it's like, yeah, yeah, not, not a big deal. Not feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a different thing. I think it's a little bit of a deer in headlight thing with the the kids because they're just a little bit scared about the future and I don't blame them. We have not left them the best shape of the planet in many, many ways. Right. So I, you know, I totally understood when, when Aiden said, 
I'm really excited to graduate and I'm really terrified to graduate and I don't want to grow up. He said, I totally feel it. And what, you know, what's funny is when we were trying to schedule this and I texted you, I'm like, how do you feel about your baby? You're one and only graduating. And you said, you said, Aiden is feeling anxious and I'm being a rock solid mom and will stress out later. And I think that's, that is so in line with what I want to talk to you about because we as parents, as moms, so often, I think, defer our feelings, defer that to tend to and care for our kids. And I just, I know it in myself, I do it all the time. And I think what happens then is I store it. I store all this stress and it just compounds layer after layer after layer in me. And, you know, it's just like finding the opportunities to feel and process those emotions. I never seem to find or make that time. So that is definitely one of the things I want to talk to you about. But before we delve really deep, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself and your background, because by profession, you are a physical therapist but you really have segued into the whole conversation about stress. And I'm not even going to call it stress management. I think it's really, as I read your work and get to know you better, it's kind of like stress fluency, almost like a whole different language that you are teaching people to understand about the ways that our bodies are designed to, you know, deal with stress and teaching us ways to stay in a place that is regulated and knowing that the waves will come and go, but you're teaching us how to ride them better. I am going to hire you as my marketing person, Karen. <laughs> Stress fluency is a great term. Thank you so much. Well, there yeah. you go. It's a much better term than stress management because you're not trying to manhandle it. You're really just trying to become more aware of it, understand it. And I think, you know, you're lucky because you know that when you defer your stress because your child or your parent is in crisis, you know that at some point you have to deal with it. Right. But there's a lot of parents who maybe intellectually understand that it's it should just be a deferment or, you know, a very short little blip of putting it aside. Um, they may know that intellectually, but they never go back to it. Right. They, they may believe a lot of people, and, and this is partly our culture, has taught us that being stressed means that you are weak, mm -hmm. not self-disciplined. Mm -hmm right? That you might be a little crazy, right? And so this is the kind of dialogue that we tell ourselves internally that we can't be stressed. But being yeah. a parent is stressful. Absolutely. And it's not only that we tell ourselves it's, it's a sign of weakness to be stressed. I, I know for me, I'm not trying to spend my weekends like processing all my angst. You know, I, I, it's this it's seesaw because 
I recognize, and you actually posted something on Instagram the other day that made me think more about this. Um, the thing about downtime and being idle and sort of allowing ourselves to have that as just unencumbered downtime instead of filling it, filling it, busying ourselves. And for me, what hit me is what you talked about was not every idle hour has to be filled with some personal growth thing. I do that so much. And I do it, I think, in a protective capacity because I'm trying to make myself better and more resilient. And also at the same time, I see that I am depriving myself of the opportunity to just be. Right. We've been taught that stillness is laziness. Right. So there's a lot of shame and self-judgment about not being productive or being lazy that I, I know I grapple with. So tell me the story about how you, as a physical therapist, started really talking about stress. You know, I, I've been a physical therapist for 23 years and I'm pretty good at it. I do a lot of manual therapy. I have a Pilates based studio with all the Pilates equipment and some treatment rooms. And I really enjoy what I do and I'm good at it. And I was getting my patients better. But what I was noticing is that there was a large percentage of my patients who I could unwind their tissue. They would feel better leaving my treatment space, but life would wind it back up again. And I, it was either- I resonate with that so deeply. That's me after every massage. It's like the <laughs> rubber band effect. It's like you work out the knot and I walk out the door and the knot's right back there. Right. And whether it's, you know, it's a demanding job or a, a strained relationship or our parents or our kids or whatever it is, there was a lot of stress that my patients were dealing with. And as a physical therapist, I didn't feel like I was equipped to help them with that. And it was like this missing piece to their recovery. And I started getting really frustrated because I like to see people recover in a complete way, right? And they kept coming back to me and things would just come spiraling back up again. And what I thought at the time was, I'm gonna have to go back to school. I have an undergrad in psychology and that's kind of where I started being really interested in the body. I started really being interested in what was happening in the body and the mind and that connection. Um, and then I got so interested in the body that I ended up becoming a physical therapist. And so when, I, when this sort of conundrum came up and I was like, how am I going to help people with this stress piece? I'm not a, not a psychologist. What do I do? Do I go back to school? And I started um, a course called the Resilience Toolkit. Um, the founder is here in Los Angeles, Enkem Endefo is her name. And what she taught me was that stress is in the body. You know, and I started doing all sorts of research on stress on top of what she was teaching me. And I was like, I have the anatomy and physiology knowledge to totally understand this and take it and run with it. And I got really excited. I was like, I don't have to go back to school. The body is where we need to pick up the pace a little bit in terms of dealing with stress in, in our culture. We tend to think of ourselves as being very heady, right? Like yeah. we prioritize our brains and, and, Absolutely. and certainly there's a lot going on in our minds, but 
what happens is all that positive thinking that we try to do and all the mindset work that we try to do when it doesn't stick, we basically go into a shame spiral, right? We blame ourselves again, we're weak. What's wrong with us? Why can't I think my way out of this stress problem? And what I ended up finding is that you can't think your way out of it because your body is, is holding on to a lot of the stuff we got to deal with the body. And so my physical therapy background ended up being a foundation for what I could offer my patients. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting because I really resonate with the head part of it. And I think that in the stressors that I've faced, especially in recent years, um, that is for me, the next step of my own healing is to really come to a place of embodiment to get out of my head and really feel the feelings throughout my whole being because I know and I think that I'd like you to kind of talk about a little bit past trauma really does affect a person's ability to feel in their body to really be present in the body and I think that's one of the things that I have struggled with because of trauma that I endured as a child and how I dealt with that in the moment was becoming really heady, was thinking my way through everything and was becoming ultra perfectionistic. Um, how does past trauma kind of impair or impact one's ability to process and handle stress? Well, first let's define trauma. So what you're talking about, because I know your history is what we would call a big T trauma. Okay. So sexual abuse is a big T trauma. So that when people hear trauma, they think, oh, that's not me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know who Dr. Gabor Mate is. He's a trauma indeed. addiction specialist. So he will set, tell people, he will. he's written in his books that pretty much everyone in our society has experienced some kind of trauma, whether it's little T trauma or big T trauma. It can be a birthing trauma. It can be an epigenetic trauma, meaning if your people went through famine, that passes down through the generations. It can be famine. It can be slavery. It can be uh, war, right? All of those awful atrocities that our past ancestors have gone through, that can be a trauma that affects you, right? Um, you can have surgery as a trauma. You can have a car accident as a trauma. You can have a bad relationship. You can have an elementary teacher who told you you were fat or a bad artist, or those can be little traumas that stick with you. And it's not really about the event. Like one person can have the same teacher tell them the same thing and it doesn't affect them. But another person, their nervous system, for whatever reason, however they were that day or, or whatever they were carrying with them, it affects them more. So that's going to be a trauma for them, right? So you can't really compare people's traumas and you can't, you can't say like, oh, you know, that fender bender affected me, but didn't affect my friend who was in the car with me. It doesn't really work that way, right? Yeah. So it's so a lot of times we carry around these things and we don't even know that we have trauma. Um, so how trauma affects the brain, we know from looking at large trauma. So um, veterans of war with um, PTSD, they've done some research on these these war veterans, and what they did is they had them 
write up a story about the events that gave them the PTSD. And then they put them in an MRI machine and had them listen back to the story while they were in the MRI machine. And they looked at their brains and what was happening in their brains during that, that recounting. What they found is that the brain area responsible for the present moment, right, for knowing things that are happening right now, was actually lit up while they were listening to the wow. story. So their brain doesn't recognize that it's happened in the past. It's so like when they talk about reliving the event, it's like you're reliving it in real time. In real time. So what happens is your brain predicts what it's feeling in the body and it can only go on past data, right? And so it says, oh, well, the last time this happened, something really bad was happening. And then you get more anxious in your body. And then there's this bi-directional communication between the brain and the mind that, or the brain and the body, excuse me, that blows up, right? So just as a tangible example for your listeners, before we started this call, you told me the last time you and I got on a Zoom, I was interviewing you for my book, I believe. That's right. And you were having a lot of internet problems and you were sitting in the same space that you're sitting in right now. So when you went to go sign on to talk to me, again, the person you had the internet problems with in the same space, you started feeling anxious. Yeah. You were reliving the past, right? Your brain said, oh, well, the last time we talked to Chantal in this space, yeah. We got frustrated and anxious because we had major tech problems, yeah. right? And so you were kind of like perplexed, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's, this is- It's happening. wild because literally I sat here, I took my blood pressure because I'm like, I am just feeling so wound up. You know, mm -hmm. it, it ended up last time that we had to scrap the Zoom and I drove to your house yes. to finish <laughs> talking to you. I'm like, and oh. I never told you this, but I had tech problems on my end when that happened because my otter uh, for transcribing what you were saying didn't work properly. <laughs> so oh no. So just a little tidbit and aside, because this is my plug. You are the first person to ever interview me for a oh. book. And when you did, and when you asked to talk to me, I never imagined that I would like end up in a chapter of your book. We're in a whole chapter. It's yeah. so wild. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. But um, I want to, I want to talk about good stress versus bad stress, because mm -hmm. I think that like we've already alluded to as a culture, as a society, we, we pretty much almost exclusively refer to stress in the negative. But I think that in talking to you, that's not necessarily so. So we call good stress you stress. That's the technical term for it. You you stress. y o u e u e u yeah you stress e u stress you stress. That's the term for good stress. So there's a, a couple of different ways to look at stress, and I call it the fork in the road in in my book. Um, acute stress, all acute stress, meaning immediate stress, is going to be adaptive and helpful. What that means is that when there is an emergency, your body goes into stress mode, right? And you release all the chemicals and all of uh, the body physiology that happens will help you mobilize to either get to safety 
get to a hospital, right? So you're going to either fight, flight, or freeze. And all of those things are helpful. We don't think of them as being helpful. And we'll get to that in a minute as to why we don't. But they are in the acute phase, very helpful. Your immune system gets boosted. You get uh, blood to your muscles so that you can run. You get more oxygen to your body. All of these types of physiological responses, even the release of cortisol and adrenaline, help you in that moment, right? Now, what happens is you get to a fork in the road when we get to chronic stress. Yeah. Chronic stress can continue to help you, right? There's post-traumatic growth syndrome where people actually do better after some, like, something like a car accident. Or there's something we call allostatic load where the chronic stress is debilitating and can cause disease. And that disease can be heart problems, diabetes, um, inflammation that can cause dementia. It can cause uh, body aches and pains. Uh, there's all sorts of things that can happen on that allostatic load path where stress is debilitating and bad for you, right? So that would be considered the bad stress. So the question is, we all know that acute stress is good, but when you get to this chronic stress, which is going to be more than three to six months of prolonged stress, what happens? Why do some people continue on the path of stress is helping me? All of those, the cortisol and adrenaline and all of that stuff is helping me versus it's, it's going to put me in the hospital, right? And, and, and how, how do we go down one path versus another. Um, and so the answer to that is complex <laughs> because there are so many factors that could lead you down one road or another. And yeah. you can you can rewrite those factors just because you were born with some awful things in your childhood doesn't mean you can't rewrite it and head down a different path. But those things are going to affect you, right? So you have past traumas, you have current adversities. So let's just take taking care of kids and parents at the same time, seeing yep. as this is the sandwich zone that we're mm -hmm. talking about, right? So, I mean, talk about a double whammy of stress, right? Especially if both is happening at the same time. Ideally, we hope our parents are okay while, while our children are struggling and vice versa. And we hope right. that we kind of deal with one at a time. But in your situation, there was a period of time where you were dealing with both heavily, right? The double whammy that happens with the sandwich zone, if you've got parents and kids at the same time, it's like you don't get a breather, right? And so what can happen, and I think what happened for you is that the crisis with your daughter and your dad and your mom too, right? Oh yeah. I mean, everything I think was, was on fire at the same time. Yeah. And I feel like from your story that I got from you, and it's why I contacted you for the book, there was a period of time where you really needed to be stressed. It made a lot of sense that you were going into a free state. Your body was cocooning and needed to reset. Um, it made perfect sense that you were in fight flight and, and something called tend and befriend, which women tend to go into more than men. It's sort of our version of fight flight. Um, and it made perfect sense for you to go there. It didn't feel comfortable to you. But it was certainly uh, an adaptive, wonderful thing that your body did for you. Yeah, now, I will say just by way of description, so people kind of understand what Chantal is talking about. I think that 
especially when I started podcasting and sharing the story, when um, right before the pandemic closures, when my youngest child went into really critical suicidality, um, during that entire period, I was dealing with that. I was dealing with my mom had chronic back issues that led to her having to have extensive spine surgery. And that was during all the closures. And then shortly after that, my dad had a reaction to medication that has really left him bed bound and, you know, went day and night from someone who could navigate a two-story home and walk and do all these things to being dependent on us for 24-7 care. Um, It's interesting that we're having this conversation now, Chantal, because I will tell you this. Uh, I described for you when we talked, I described how even when Lenny went into residential care, I was so wound up and so stuck in a place of hypervigilance that I could not de-escalate that. I couldn't sleep even though Lenny was in a place with 24-7 professional support. I ended up going to my doctor and basically saying, look, I have not slept in over a year. I mean, I basically was on alert. I had, you know, video monitors in my house, monitoring for dangerous behavior. I constantly was checking. I couldn't relax enough to get a decent night of sleep. And so I was in that state and then managing caring for my dad and my parents have not been open really to having in-home care. So it's just us, the kids kind of doing the thing to, to buoy them and to get them through the days. But right now it's interesting because I just dropped Lynn's off at sleepaway camp Mm. and it is the first time that Lenny has really done something like this by choice. You know, I don't count the five weeks of residential treatment, um, something that you choose, but this was something that Lynn's wanted to do. And it's really the contrast, the night and day to look back on what I was doing and how I was handling dropping my child off at residential care in the middle of the pandemic to dropping Linny at a camp of their own choosing that was desired and being able to come home and actually exhale to feel like, wow, it's a, it's a whole different experience. It's really, I'm, I'm startled by it. Like the contrast, it's just a different way of how I can feel the changes in my body over time. So, and it's so wonderful. And, and part of that is definitely Linny's work that they have done, but it's also you mama, you've done a lot of work, a lot of work. I've seen you go through it in real time. And, um, it's been pretty wonderful to, to witness. I mean, just doing this podcast is something you were doing for yourself and you are 
are being so vulnerable and open about everything that you've been through, but I think there's some healing that happens there. Without question. And I, I really do think, I know for me, and it may not be for everyone, but I know for me, talking about this openly and publicly is, um, it's been important to me, I think, to process my own feelings about it all. It's kind of cathartic. And I really, really, really hope that someone who's going through something similar can cling to what I am sharing as a tether, you know, as a just some sort of hope that things can change and get better, even if you're living in this chaotic crisis. Um, so, yeah. So I think that what you are doing in terms of educating people about stress is super important because I think when I look at the work that you do, it is hope inducing. It's like, okay, I don't have to get churned and swallowed up by all of this. There are ways to do better through stress. And so that leads me to ask you about your book. So you just recently turned in your manuscript for your book, Settled. And I love the name. I have to say that whenever I think of the name and title of your book, it's almost like this little wash of relaxation comes over me because that is the aspiration, right? To get to a place where you just feel settled. It doesn't mean that you don't have stressors in your life, but that you are at a place where even amidst that chaos, you can find a place of peace and feeling settled. So I want you to talk about your book and why you decided to write it and what you hope readers will glean from it. I decided to write my book because when I talked about this stuff, I was doing some workshops and I was talking to a lot of friends who you know, just like you were, were, were stuck in some hypervigilance and, you know, you were going through so much that it makes sense that you were stuck, but it was uncomfortable after a while and you needed ways to get out of it. Right. So I would talk to friends who were in similar, different, but similar situations. And they were just in awe of what I had to offer. And when I did my workshops, people were transformed. And I knew from going through the Resilience Toolkit certification myself, because I became a facilitator, I was a different person. It's not that I wasn't stressed because that's not the goal. But like you said, I was riding the waves a little bit easier. You know, like we're supposed to toggle into and out of stressful responses to life. And I was stuck most of the time in a defensive stress response, and I couldn't get myself back to anywhere resembling calm, right? And I just found for myself that it was so transformative, this knowledge and this work that I had learned. And when I taught it in these workshops, people were like, what? Are you kidding me? This information is so great. And so I wanted to get the information out there. And as I was working with my chronic pain patients as a physical therapist, I was starting to see how not only could I help their chronic pain, but I could help other areas of their life, their relationships, their 
other health problems. Um, I was helping them parent. I mean, I, I addiction, I could help them with their addictions or even just behavior stuff that they wanted to change. Um, and I thought this is incredible work and the world needs to know about this. And it's, there are a lot of books like the one I wrote in, I'll call it the woo woo space, right? The <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love some woo woo. Yeah, I love some woo woo too. And there, you know, if you're in that space, you know about this work already, but there's so many people who really and truly don't know this work and would so benefit, even if they just got a glimmer of what the book is about. And so when I wrote it, I wrote it with that person in mind, that middle-aged man or woman who maybe doesn't come across this information about body up healing very often. And, you know, my physical therapy background, again, really helps me in that way. And I was able to come up with some of my own techniques based on my education background and um, yeah, I'm really, really, really excited for the book. I'm glad you like the title, I especially do. because you're an attorney. And I always think of some people thinking of settled as being like settling a lawsuit. Oh, and that's yeah, not okay. what we're okay. talking about. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, but it doesn't strike me that way. Good, good, good. I'm so happy. Yes, it's called Settled. And the subtitle is How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. And I'm really will give people a different stress wait, fluency. Wait, hold on. You have to repeat that because of course you froze. <laughs> I froze. You said, I'm really. I'm really excited that it's coming out into the world because it will help people, as you said, give them a new stress fluency. I love that term. And help them understand what they can do when they're stressed, first of all, take the shame and blame out of being stressed. And then if they feel like their stress is not appropriate, meaning it's maybe too much, too high of a stress response, given the situation, or they feel like they're stuck, like for your situation, when you couldn't sleep, even though you, you knew at that point, Lenny was safe, um, being able to down-regulate your nervous system so that you can sleep, so that you can think so that you can focus, so that you can have healthy relationships. Because if you think about what it's like when you're stressed, having a conversation with someone is, is a radically different experience than when you are feeling much more calm, right? Um, and that happens as a parent, it happens as a daughter, it happens in all kinds of different relationships, um, spousal relationships, right? So all of those things can be helped with the information that people are going to get unsettled. What would you say are like the top three things that people will get from reading your book? Ah, I got to boil it down to three. I know. Well, I know it's hard because there's so yeah. many good nuggets in there, but pick three. The whole second part of the book is, is tools and techniques to regulate your nervous system through your body. And another way of saying that is it's techniques to tell your body that you are safe. Mm -hmm. So if we go back to your example of the, the, the tech anxiety you had at the beginning of this call, just little things that you can do to say to your brain, no, no, this is a different situation. 
it seems similar, but it's different and we're safe. And so if you can tell your body that you're safe, then your body will tell your brain that it's safe. And, and that calms everything down. Body up, brain down. Well, and that's interesting on that point, because I think a lot of people think that it's the other way around, right? If you tell your body to be some way, you know, relax body or whatever, um, I guess that's the difference between the body up, head down, you know, it's like, you're not driving necessarily your relaxation from the brain down or, or is it clarify that for me? Cause like, it, it's bi-directional it's bi-directional. So really what happens, um, is that the, the body is, is primary. And so the, what you're feeling in the body is what initiates the brain to say, oh, something is okay. going on, right? Now the brain is going to say what happened in the past. Oh, in the past, we had tech problems when, when we were dealing with this Chantal character and we're in the same space, we're going to have tech problems again, right? And so you, then your brain says, be even more stressed. And that's when you have to check your blood pressure. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the thing about embodiment then that you have to be in a space and be able to identify the feelings that you're having in the body so that you can have that bi-directional conversation with your brain and then rewrite the story that your brain is predisposed to tell you. Yeah, and if you don't do the body up and you try to rewrite it and you're too stressed out, I'm sure this has happened to you, you can intellectually know that you should calm down and that everything's okay, but that doesn't mean that your thoughts are going to come down and that your, your heart rate is going to calm down. Right. And that's why the body up stuff is so powerful at times like that. I always use the analogy of like, it's like a, a kid having a, a three-year-old having a tantrum and you're trying to talk to them and you're trying to calm them down. You'll get candy later, right? Is is a toddler going to hear that? They can't even hear you when they're having a tantrum, right? They're on the floor flailing around. They can't hear you. And they certainly can't understand your words, let alone take it in as far as auditory input, right? And it's kind of the same way with your brain. When your body has responded to something, your brain is, is completely offline. And it just is like, oh, what happened in the past? Let me got to predict what's going on here. Right. And so there's this, this two-way communication that can augment the situation. Okay. So I, um, I know that it's summertime and again, going back to some of your Instagram posts, which I love, I think that you give such good, just real practical, accessible information in the clips and reels that you post on Instagram. Um, so for everybody listening, go check it out. Um, and we'll, I, I will link all of your handles and social media stuff and um, information, contact information in the show notes for this episode. But one of the things you've been talking about recently, as it is summer, are vacations. Yeah. And um, I'm getting ready to go on a vacation to a family reunion for Matt's side of the family. And Oftentimes people say, I need a vacation from my vacation. Oh yeah. So you have, you have presented a few um, kind of cope ahead strategies for going on vacation. I would love if you share some of those. 
I can also share some for during the actual. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So the, the before strategies I gave were just sort of, um, they're not really body up practices, or at least this one isn't, where you just take an extra day or maybe it's 12 hours to start your vacation early. And the thinking there is that, especially if you're traveling on an airplane, and nowadays it's so stressful to, to travel on an airplane, what happens is if we, that rush to get ready for the vacation has our stress threshold, threshold up already. Like we filled our cup already with stress. We are swimming in cortisol already. And so you get on the airplane and you're rushed to get to the, to the airport. And then when you get to your destination, your luggage is lost. And something that you may have been able to handle okay, like it would have been a tolerable stress, maybe even a stress. like, oh, I get to go shopping for new clothes or whatever, becomes this insurmountable, awful experience because you were already stressed before you even got on the airplane. And so just giving yourself that extra room before and after a vacation right? Give yourself that extra day to do your laundry and to recalibrate back into time zone or whatever Right. Um, before and after. And I know that can be really difficult for people because they only have a certain amount of time off. They want to spend it with friends or family or, or at the destination that they're excited to get to, but it can mean a better vacation when you're there is to really give yourself that space to not rush into it and allow yourself to sort of start the vacation before the vacation. So not waiting till the last minute to pack and staying up all night. I, I find that what happens to me is the night before I'm about to leave on vacation, I can't sleep at all because I keep popping up thinking, oh, did I forget that? Oh, I got to remember this. Oh, I got to pack that. Oh, I want to make sure I have that. And yeah. so, so that advice would be to make sure I'm packed like a full day earlier so that I can hopefully have done all those checks and rechecks and yeah. be able to have a good night's sleep before I go. Yeah. And, and, and that's just a strategy for just giving yourself some more just a better chance of being able to downregulate while you're on vacation, right? And so during the vacation, um, a lot of times we feel like it takes a whole week for us to finally relax, right? Yeah. And so what I suggest there is um, is to actually emphasize the stress in your body. We, in physical therapy, it's sort of like a contract relax is what we would call it in physical therapy. So you emphasize the constriction that the stress feels like in your body, which means you're going to ball yourself up into a tight, tight, tense ball. So you are, you are constricting everything, the fists, the fingers, the face, the jaw, the muscles, the everything thing. is contracted. The whole thing, just for a couple of seconds, and then you're going to let it go. You can do this lying down on the floor so that when you let it go, you're completely extended on the floor, right? So it's that opening up and extending and uh, feeling, and then you contract into a ball again, and it's that rigidity and constriction, right? And then you let it go. So this is literally, you are focusing on decompressing. Mm -hmm beginning of the vacation. So to let your body know, this is what we're doing. We're decompressing and you exaggerate that tension so that your body goes, Oh, okay. We want to let that go. Right. Okay. So that's another tool now during the vacation, right. Especially with family, cause that can get pretty intense. 
So you you said you were going on vacation with extended family. Is that what you said? Right. There's I think there's probably about sixty people descending oh. Oh. for this family reunion. Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. Um, if that gets to be too much, which sounds like it could very easily be too much and and stressful, um, one thing you can do is little eye movements that can help oh. settle your body, and this is based on something called EMDR. Um, and, and EMDR is oh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing processing reprocessing repatterning one of those yes okay. EMDR um, it is a, a, a shoot off of, of psychology it's a psychologist who developed it and the idea is that eye movements in certain patterns lateral movements in particular side to side movements um, will dampen the fear centers in the brain. And so it kind of just resets the nervous system. And the way to do that is if you are in, let's say you are in a big gathering and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and stressed about the whole experience, just as an example, to throw it out there, um, you're gonna just take your eyes without moving your head, you're gonna take both eyes and look to your right. And, then and do you hold it there to the right? You hold it there. You can hold it there for anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds or until you feel yourself relax a little bit. Okay. So that could be a yawn. It could be a sigh. It could just be your body feeling softer or warmer or lighter. It could be your thoughts settling. Um, you kind of have to pay attention to what's going on in your body, right? And if you feel like this is making you worse, more anxious, then of course you would stop. Okay. That's the thing about these tools is everybody is different. So you have to really play detective with yourself and, and really check in with yourself while you're doing them. Don't assume that just because someone, you know, told you to do this technique, that it's going to be the right technique for you. Right. Right. So you just look to the right with both eyes without moving the head. And then you bring your eyes back to center. And then you do the same thing and you look to the left with both eyes. And then you bring your eyes back to center. Okay. And for most people, again, not everybody, this isn't the right tool for everybody, but for most people, they will feel a little bit of a settling in their body. I immediately sigh when mm -hmm. I do that. And that for me is a sign of downregulation. Sometimes it's tummy gurgles that people will feel. That's a sign of downregulation. Um, so I the tummy gurgle is indicative of that digest phase then. And digest. Yes. You're going into paradise. Okay. Yeah. So, and I like it because it's something that is, is pretty um, mellow. You know, you don't have to call attention to yourself when you're doing it. You can just kind of do it surreptitiously and get a benefit of feeling more relaxed without, you know, drawing attention to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So here's another eye exercise you can do. Um, when we are in fight flight, our eyes tend to over-focus, right? We become very narrow focused okay. in what we're doing. And during an emergency situation, that would be really helpful. But when we are stuck there, it's not so helpful, right? So to tell your body that you are safe and don't need fight or flight energy in the moment, you open your gaze up. It's called panoramic vision, Right. So you just open up you without, again, without moving your head, you just open up your peripheral vision and take in everything in your environment that you can see 180 degrees 
And I think that this is why, it's one of the reasons why sunsets and sunrises are so calming. There's the nature component, which of course yeah. is very calming, but there's also this taking in the horizon that has a really wonderful effect of just softening the eyes. It's like the eyeballs kind of sit back into the skull a little bit more and we open up our peripheral vision and that can really tell our body that we are safe and everything's good and we're not stressed. So in, in hearing you talk about some of these tips, it seems like a lot of them, um, like you go to the right with the eyes for a little while, then you go to the left you know, for a little while it is tapping into both sides, that bilateral stimulation. And even with the peripheral vision, you're talking about widening your gaze so that you can take in as much of the scene where, you're, where you are without moving your head. So talk about that bilateral um, calming effect, because I know that for me, my therapist has often said, um, when I feel stressed, that's why walking helps so much. And it is something that is relaxing for me because you're moving from left to right, left to right, left to right. Yeah. They don't know how the bilateral stimulation regulates the nervous system, but they know that it improves resilience. Mm. And there's a lot of things in life like aspirins. We don't know how exactly it helps, but it helps. Mm -hmm. Um, so bilateral stimulation, they, they've done some research on it and it, it, you, it doesn't just have to, it's not just the eyes or the legs. You can do it on the arms. I'll show you a technique in a second. Um, and they found that it can, sh takes you into your parasympathetic calming nervous system. So if here's one for the arms, cause this one's really easy and you can do it in front of people and they don't know what you're doing. They just think you're cold. So if you take your right arm and place it on your left shoulder, and then you sweep that right arm down to the left wrist. So you're just slowly moving your hand from your shoulder all the way down the top yep. of your arm to your fingertips. Yep. And then you do the same thing on the other side. So the left hand would go to the right shoulder and it would sweep all the way down that right arm down to your fingertips. We call this arm sweeps or lotion because it looks like you're kind of putting on mm -hmm. lotion. Um, so that is bilateral stimulation that you can do just with your arms down by your side and people just think, oh, she's cold or, you know, and it, it will really, not for everybody again, you have to play detective, but it typically will give people a moment of pause and you'll hear people sigh or yawn or just slow their breathing down. And it is a wonderful tool that you can do in the moment when you're feeling overwhelmed. So you are a wealth of information for these undercover sort of um, soothing tips. I love it. <laughs> so, okay. So one thing I want to ask you about is you referenced this thing about tend and befriend and how that is prevalent in situations like mine or others in the sandwich zone, caring for parents and raising kids at the same time and having this multitude of stressors. What is tend and befriend? Tend and befriend is a stress response. And we don't hear about it as often as we hear about fight flight. The reason why is because prior to 1995, only 17% of research subjects on the topic of stress were women. 
So there was a doctor, there is a doctor, I should say, not past tense. There is a doctor at UCLA. Her name is Dr. Shelley Taylor. And she took issue with this. Mm-hmm. Started studying the female response to fight flight or to stress, right? Which turned out to be look a little different than our typical common way that we think of fight flight. And she calls it tend and befriend. And what happens is with people with with more estrogen or more on the feminine gender scale, um, they will tend to, no pun intended, um, they will tend to tend to the young, Uh right? And the elderly, and they will befriend and make networks of support around them to facilitate whatever it is that's going on in their life. Wow. Well, and I definitely think that I, that is one of my coping strategies for sure to take care of those around me. And it's kind of like what I talked about before about, you know, deferring feeling my own feelings because I focus on everybody around me, just like you when I texted you about Aiden's graduation said, okay, I'm being a rock solid mama. I'm going to, I'm going to stress out later. So, so that tend and befriend thing. Yeah. Hits home. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's thanks to oxytocin and estrogen. And uh, I think, you know, there's some gender normative roles that play into it as well. Um, but it's, it is a stress response. So I think it sounds really lovely, but we need to remember that it takes up some of our energy to be in that tend and befriend. And it takes up energy to push some of our emotions aside for a while in order to do that, right? Yeah. And I think we get stuck in it. I think we get stuck in trying to fix things and help our children and help our parents when maybe they don't need it anymore. Yeah, and that that is something that I've had to try and learn is to allow myself to loosen the reins and step back a little and let those people that I love kind of figure stuff out. Yeah. And that's letting go. That's that's actually coming out of that stress response is what you're doing there. Mm. And, you know, that's what I talk about in the book with you is you're, um, you're getting stuck, right? And again, it wasn't like everyone would expect you to get stuck considering all of the things that were going on in your life. Um, but what happens when we get stuck and humans tend to get stuck in a defensive stress response, what happens is it's kind of like scar tissue. Mm-hmm. In the- if you think about the way scar tissue works is it's, it comes into play because of inflammation. That's why we get scar tissue. So there's an injury in the body and inflammation is brought in by the immune system and that creates scar tissue. And the body is says, oh, okay, there was an injury, which means that there was a weakness there. So let's build fibers up and let's build it stronger than it was before so that there is no injury again. And what happens is that those fibers get laid down in such a haphazard way versus the regular, more symmetrical way that they would lay down if they weren't injured tissue and they bulk up, right? Like that's what scar tissue is. It's bulked up, dense 
tissue. And we try to get rid of inflammation so that the scar tissue doesn't get too bulky because bulky scar tissue means that we are going to compensate and not have the flexibility in our body and the range of motion and therefore compensate with other parts of our body. So oh, yeah, it- I, I definitely relate to that because I had, I had tendon repair surgery in, I want to say 2012. And part of my recovery was going to physical therapy where the therapist, the primary job was to really get in there under the incision and work out the scar tissue that was building up or had built up to improve my range of motion. Yep, exactly. And what that therapist was doing was trying to realign those fibers so that they weren't so haphazard in Mm. the way that they were laid down Um, and to decrease the scar tissue to give you more range of motion. And absolutely, because if you don't have range of motion in your ankle, guess what happens? You end up compensating in the knee, in the hip and in the low back which I did and possibly shoulder, even like it goes all the way up the chain. Right. So that is what getting stuck in a stress response is like, it's like scar tissue and it's trying to help you. It was brought in for all the right reasons to make things better. And over time, if you stay in that same stress response and are not able to come down and move out of it, then you get you you get these compensations just like you do with regular scar tissue in the body you compensate in ways and everything becomes stressful right even the small things now become stressful so packing for a vacation becomes super stressful so these are like the psychic scars that you have to break down it's interesting because i just went to my primary care physician for a physical um a little while ago, and we were talking about stress because of course my doctor has been on this ride with me through Mm -hmm. the last several years of, of the stress and crisis that I've been going through because I ended up having a lot of medical issues that were without question, a result of the stress, the load of stress that I've been carrying. And you know, so a conversation that we, we often have, my doctor and I is one about chronic stress and the impact that chronic stress has on health and the body. And one of the things she said to me, because we were talking about work stress this last visit, and even with the prospect of retiring, you know, in the hopefully not crazy distant future, but she said, you really have to work and prepare for that because simply removing yourself from a stressful environment such as work, that doesn't take care of the stress response because like in my case, I have conditioned myself through years and years and years now of a certain way of responding to stressors, which just simply removing myself, she's like, Karen, those are deep grooves you're going to fall right back into that pattern unless you really proactively work and teach yourself a different way of, of being. Yes, she's absolutely right. And that way could be more body up work to get you out of that stuck groove for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And that's the thing is like, people can go on vacation and they think that they're going to relax. And it's just an interruption in their stress, right? Because they don't know how to get their body out of that constant hypervigilance. Yeah. And I think that, I think that is where your book is going to be super useful for people because, you know, it's not like we talked about, it's not about just throwing more self-care at it or practicing self-management. It's really learning to understand how our bodies work and teaching like with that constriction and release exercise, teaching your body what it feels like to be in a more settled space. Indeed. Yeah. Chantal, when's your book coming out? In August. Well, I would love for you to share how people can find you and where people can go to order your book when it's available. I have a company called Body Insight and you can go to my website. It's bodyinsight.com. There's information on the book there. There's information on workshops. There's information on me and uh, a way to contact me via email is there. Um, I'm on Instagram at Body Insight Inc. And I'm also on Facebook at Body Insight. And um, the book will be available pretty much anywhere you buy a book, um, Amazon and, and all the others. And uh, I think August is when it will be available. I'm going to have a 99 cent um, ebook available. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. This is really a good conversation. I think so many people feel stressed in the world that we're living in that we can all use this primer. So I'm really looking forward to your book coming out. Thank you. I'm excited too. Yeah. Oh, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm oh, glad thanks you were for having able. me. Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you so much. All right. I guess that's it. I need to take a picture of this. <laughs> we did it. We did it. Thanks. All right, my friend. Awesome. You're awesome. I love talking to you. I love talking to you too. That's it. We're good. We're golden. Awesome. All right, friends, that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chantal and learned more about how to forge a better relationship with stress and life. And I highly recommend you do yourself a favor and go out and get Chantal's book, Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. And as a little bonus surprise, if you get the book, you will find my story in chapter six. <laughs> so this is the first time ever that I have been interviewed for and included in a book. So there's a little added bonus. And also be sure to follow Chantal. I find her Instagram feed to be a wealth, a bevy of information. All the links to find and follow Chantal will be in the show notes for this episode. So until next time, Go out and do something that brings you joy. I'm Karen Osborne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and share it with a friend. 
If you're an Apple Podcast listener, one of the best ways you can support me is rating and reviewing the podcast there. You can follow me on Instagram at karen.e.osborne. That's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Or if you want to become an insider, a club sandwich member, click the link in the show notes and join my private Facebook group. Until next time, remember to add yourself to your caregiving list and take a moment today and do something that brings you joy.